Hello, welcome to the Cities on the Frontline Urban Exchange Podcast. We've created this space for city leaders and urban practitioners to come together for a few minutes to share the opportunities and challenges they are grappling with as they drive transformative change in cities today. I'm Lauren Sorkin, Executive Director of the Resilient Cities Network. We are a city-led network of nearly 100 city members around the world, working to build urban resilience that enables cities to thrive no matter the shock or stress faced. And I'm pleased you've joined us for this episode hosted with our partner, Smart Cities World, with sponsorship from our friends and co-conspirators in urban resilience, the World Bank. Cities are truly on the front line of delivering a future that is resilient, sustainable, economically robust, healthy and equitable for all of us. It is no small charge. At the Resilient Cities Network, we provide forums like this to bring together knowledge, practice and partnerships that support and encourage city leaders and urban practitioners in their efforts. Now, over to my co-host, Paul Wilson, chair of the Smart Cities World Advisory Board. Thanks, Lauren. It's great to be doing this with you. I'm chair of Smart Cities World's Advisory Board, and every year more than a million people read Smart Cities World and 30,000 people are members gaining access to special reports and content. Members include officials from more than a thousand cities with new members every single week. And in the day job, I'm Chief Business Officer at Connected Places Catapult, the UK's innovation accelerator for cities, transport and places. Together, we're sharing ideas that solve urban challenges, bringing people together from the public, private, academic, and not-for-profit sectors. Our Urban Exchange podcast will take us around the world to meet people working on the front line. In this fifth episode of Urban Exchange Cities on the Frontline, Lauren Sorkin catches up with the city of Wellington's Mayor Andy Foster. This year, Wellington is one of 15 cities to win the Bloomberg Mayor's Challenge for Digital Twins. And Lauren was fortunate enough to speak with Mayor Foster on Earth Day to share insights on leadership in digital resilience. Let's jump in. Well, now I think without any further ado, I want to really warmly welcome Mayor Andy Foster here to the Urban Exchange podcast. Mayor Foster, you've been a dedicated civil servant for over three decades, and you also bring experience in teaching and finance to everything that you do. We're really delighted to have you here today um, as a member of the Resilient Cities Network and really as an innovative city around the world that others are looking to as we go through challenging times for solutions. So thank you so much for being here with us. Like, thanks, Lauren. It's, it's great to be here. And you know, I, I want Wellington to do really, really well. But also, if there's anything that we can do which helps other cities to learn from us and, and we to learn from them, that's always a great thing because we want every city to do well. It's essential in these times that we work together in our times of trouble. As, as I've said many times, it's our networks that sustain us. And so Wellington has been a really active member in the Resilient Cities Network in peer-to-peer learning and sharing. And we are really appreciative of that. Now, just jumping right in here, we're still recovering from the impacts of a global pandemic. What opportunities for resilient recovery are there in Wellington? And over the longer term, 
What do you think is key to building back better? As a nation, we've had a relatively low number of, uh, of deaths as a result of the pandemic. The, the pandemic, you know, we're obviously a very isolated landmass. The pandemic arrived on our shores after we'd seen it going through much of the rest of the globe. Uh, that was April 2020. Uh, we went into some pretty heavy lockdowns and uh, and tried to keep borders uh, really, really tight. And because we went in late, we're also coming out late. So we are still emerging from some of the, the restrictions. Biggest issues for us, um, obviously, like many other governments around the world, our government borrowed a lot of money to keep people employed and keep people able to live uh, during that period of time. There are implications for that at the moment. Uh, inflation is rising here as it is everywhere else. And probably the, the biggest one for us as a city is that central cities, the whole thing from, of working from home has been really, really tough on central cities. We're a, a really tight, compact, office-based city. And uh, you know we've got, we've got all the government offices there, the people that support those government offices, the private sector that, that supports them, a lot of arts, culture, entertainment, events. And those sort of things have really suffered very badly as a result of the pandemic. So, so key to us is supporting our business community, encouraging people to come back into the central city, putting together events, programs, and making it easier for people to, whether they're coming by public transport or by vehicle or by bike, uh, to get into the city. But I think long term, really, it's because work from home now becomes, I think so many people now have experienced that, it becomes something that is, that's the competition in a sense. So we need to make sure that as a city that people actually say, actually, I want to be there. I don't have to be there, but I want to be there. So we've got to make sure that our our city is a place people want to come to, that it's attractive. And that means all those events, the arts, the culture. But also, I think, you know, I was out in our streets yesterday collecting for for Poppy Day. This is our our Anzac Day commemorations, which is our big day of commemorating our military personnel over the years. And, you know, the, the, the streets were coming alive, which was great but also people bump into each other. And it's that, that human interaction, which is just the, that's, that's the special thing that, that, that I think people have missed over the last couple of years. And so it's drawing people back in and saying, we want to be there. And that's got to be a long-term thing as well as just immediate. Yeah, you, you've highlighted some of the really holistic aspects of resilience in your comments there, Mayor Foster, talking about the importance of economic resilience, right, and, and strengthening our businesses and, and the fabric of our communities also, that social interaction, that social resilience. Mm-hmm. And I think very often when people hear about resilient cities, they're thinking about earthquakes or they're thinking about climate change, but there's this holistic and really necessary aspect of bringing in social, bringing in the economic considerations as we're building back our cities. And I, and I think you point to that really, that really important human need for connection in a social way and that our, our businesses and our placemaking are, are so crucial for cities at this time. So expanding on that a little bit, has the meaning of resilience changed for Wellington? in the past years. And when we started, you know, work together, we talked a lot about climate and earthquakes and these issues. What are your priorities now, given this post-pandemic situation for strengthening resilience? And what are some of those assets that have been built up over the years that are helping to build a more inclusive and thriving city? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a really good question. I don't think that our resilience issues have changed. It's just that the pandemic has added to them. So, you know, be, because we've had a pandemic doesn't mean that we're no longer seismically, um, you know, uh, we, we don't have seismic challenges. It doesn't mean climate change has gone away. So if I can pick up on those two, um, in, in terms of seismic uh, conditions for 
for folks and particularly in the UK audience, uh, you know, I, I was reading something about um, a, a 2.1 earthquake and, the, and, and shaking people and going 2.1, we'd, we'd probably have several of those a day and we wouldn't even notice them. So, you know, we're, we are a, um, an earthquake prone country. And, and we're particularly, we've got several major fault lines running through or around the Wellington area. And so we've always known that we need to be seismically resilient. So that's a really big issue uh, for us. And there's been a huge amount of, uh, of really good science, really good engineering being put into strengthening buildings. So that's with its old historic buildings, building new buildings. Um, that's been an ongoing issue and opportunity for Wellington. And, uh, and this both public and private sector investment is is continuing in that, and that's both in buildings and the um, underground infrastructure and and bridges and and pipes and reservoirs, all those sort of things. So we put a lot of resource into doing that. We had a, a major earthquake about 200 kilometres south of us in 2016, the Kaikoura earthquake. And just for context, that was a 7.8 on the Richter scale, so it was a it was a big earthquake. Uh, we had a few buildings which needed to be demolished as a result of that, and nobody was killed in Wellington. But you know we did we did lose a few buildings and so we are, we are continuing to invest there very heavily. The, the second one is in, in terms of climate change. The two aspects of that obviously the first one's mitigation. Uh, so we're a um, a coastal city and so we're we're doing a lot of work there. And I know we'll touch on the digital twin later on in looking at places where development should occur and where it shouldn't occur. And actually, there's a seismic bit of that as well because we've got some land which is good solid rock and other land which is a bit more fragile, you know, based on sand and, you know, it's come up in previous earthquakes. So mitigation is a really important part of our response to climate change. Uh, And that's, you know, the areas where we'll need to protect, areas where we might need to retreat from. And also what we do with infrastructure, particularly stormwater infrastructure as it it discharges to sea, that's got to be designed to be able to cope with, uh, with a rising sea level. The other bit is is in the mitigation space. Um, oh, sorry, that was the ad- adaptation space. The other bit in the mitigation space is, we're, we're, as I said, we're a very compact city. And so we've got a, a high level of walking, cycling, public transport use. A lot of our development is along corridors which are serviceable by public transport. And that gives us the lowest carbon footprint of any city in Australasia. But we know we need to do a lot better than that. So we're, we are working with government on some really, really large transport investment and associated urban development investment. So we're, we're really looking to get urban development in close proximity to, you know, to public transport routes and to improve things like cycling and walking. So that's our response to, to climate change uh, as well as to, uh, to the seismic challenges we've got. Those are bold plans and projects. And it, it's, it's inspiring to see that you're making further commitment to advancing the transport space and lowering emissions. Today is Earth Day. Actually, we're talking to, yes, it is. to yes. each other. And I say Happy Earth Day. Um, I think it's a it's it's a pledge that the cities in the network are very serious about, and will continue to learn to from Wellington about in terms of low carbon transport and compact city development. And Lauren, can I just also pick up because you, you used the word inclusive in the question as well, and I did want to say something about inclusivity. Yes, because because we're we're quite a we've got quite a diverse uh, population in Wellington. I mean, the, the largest component is is New Zealand European. But we have large uh, ethnic groups uh, in there as as well, and one of the joys of being the mayor is working with the, the diversity, the ethnic groups, the rainbow groups uh, in our community. And, and we pride ourselves not on merely just being tolerant, but being on it, being inclusive. And if I can give an example, we had a um, almost well, three years ago now, a, a terrible attack in Christchurch on a number of mosques and where um, innocent worshippers were killed. And part of the response to that has been an interfaith community coming together just to promote 
understanding between different faiths and friendship between different faiths. And that's been really, really powerful and, again, recognized internationally. So we do a lot in trying to, to be an inclusive community where, where everybody you know, is welcomed to be who they want to be. And that, that's, that's really, really precious to us. And also, um, being the capital city, we've, we've been a leader in, or our country has been a leader in some pretty world-leading uh, legislation. For example, the first country in the world to uh, give women the, uh, the vote in the, in the late 19th century, and then uh, particularly around gay marriage and civil unions. So we, we're very proud of those kind of inclusive pieces of legislation too. Going deeper on that inclusivity, in, in terms of complex challenges, you just highlighted how important it is to bring all groups along. And in fact, the kinds of challenges that can happen if a community isn't inclusive, if there are divisions. How would you say that this kind of legislation and this example around bringing communities together is shaping the, the city's planning work? And what could other cities emulate from those kinds of examples? I mean, New Zealand has been a leader, uh, and Wellington as well, in also working with indigenous communities. When we look at solutions to some of our really complex challenges, including climate change, are there things that that cities can learn from and pick up on there? Well, if I can pick up particularly on the the, um, the comment you make about um, indigenous communities. So our indigenous community, are the Maori community, we have um, what, what are called mana whenua groups, which are, are the people of the land. Whenua is the land and the people who hold the mana um, over that land. And uh, so in the last three years, we've uh, we are, in fact, we're about to sign a, a new special strategic relationship with our mana whenua. We now have mana whenua representatives sitting around the council table helping us to make uh, decisions. And we engage very, very closely on a, on a whole range of different issues around the city, opportunities around the city with our mana whenua groups. So that, that's, that's a really important part. And New Zealand is changing very, very fast in that bringing mana whenua to the table. It's, 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 a, it's a challenge for the, the status quo, but one we've got to work through together in a way which, which everybody ultimately will feel comfortable with. I think that's a really good point, actually creating seats at the table and mandating those seats at the table, that that's an inclusive conversation where everyone participates is something that we see cities working on around the world and and is a good example. Now with that face-to-face and real-time coordination, you know, Wellington also combines a lot of innovation in the tech space. And as you mentioned before, with COVID coming in, it hasn't removed the previous challenges that that Wellington was facing in terms of being very seismic and also climate change. And I can actually recall a meeting that we were at with some leaders from the smart city space and the resilient space some years ago with resilient cities. And there was an earthquake in Wellington at the time. And the head of smart cities was actually able to go onto a web-based platform. And within about 15 minutes, he was able to say which buildings were safe to go back into, which weren't. And he was able to provide peace of mind back to leadership in Wellington about that and then to citizens and importantly to the vulnerable communities who were affected. Now, you know, around the world, we're moving more and more into these digital models and Wellington's continued to push on the cutting edge of these digital solutions. So can can you tell us about this technology and the Digital Twins initiative? How did this project take shape and and what was the inspiration? The two separate things I want to touch on from that question. The first one of them is the being able to monitor what's going on in terms of if we do have a seismic event, what's going on, where are the buildings that you need to go and look at and where are the ones which you probably think are going to be okay. Uh, If you go back a few years, the the approach was very much we had to go 
and you know there had to be engineers taken in to inspect every building to see whether it's okay or wasn't okay. But now with sensors that can can see the direction of the of the earthquake waves, you can actually say, well, we know that there's a you know going in the northerly direction there's a, a building which might be affected, whereas in the in the easterly direction it, it's not going to be affected. So you can you can see the uh, the impact of or the potential impact of earthquake on a given local environment. So we've got sensors being uh, put in all over the city. I think it's about 100 to 150 sensors being put in all over the city to to help with that to make it much quicker to be able to know which buildings need to be inspected and which buildings are able to to continue to operate safely and which ones might be the question mark over them. In terms of the digital city, digital city is, uh, digital twin city is, um, it, it's a really powerful model which allows us to show the city. It's a, it's a digital model of the city. So um, I, I occasionally do presentations where um, I put up a picture of Wellington say, well, here's Wellington. And then I said, well, it's actually not Wellington. It's a digital representation of Wellington. It looks just like Wellington. And you can't, you really can't tell the difference. The really important thing about that is that it allows you to use it as a planning tool. So you can say, well, here's Wellington as it is now, but we're thinking of making these changes, these transport changes, these urban development changes. There are these new projects which are going on. Here's what's happening in terms of sea level rise. Here's what's going on in terms of city safety. And it allows us to I mean, if a picture tells a thousand words, um, you, you're telling a million words through those kind of presentations. It allows our, our community to to look at those things. That, that's that's where, where we're aiming to go to, to allow our community to look at these things, to look at the proposals, to look at the changes that are being suggested and to respond to those changes and to better understand them because so often people just don't. And so it's a really important way of including our community and in, in understanding where the city's going and in the decision making. You've just highlighted such an important part of these digital tools, that, and one that's not as often talked about, and that's the communication piece of it. And what you've just described is really empowering and can be empowering for communities in terms of understanding vulnerability and then being able to respond. Uh, and I think what what we very often talk about in resilience is that we have to be aware of those vulnerabilities. We actually have to to look at them, face them head on, that these are very much place-based and that it, it's important to bring in our communities and our stakeholders. And it sounds like this tool has really enabled that to happen in a very meaningful way in Wellington. I, I, th- I think we're at an early stage yet. We're still developing the tool, but the intention is for it to become an open source tool, which which anybody can, can then use. So you know, over the next literally few months, that's where we hope to be. And then we'll continue to add to that, to add to the information that goes on to it. So how, how will that be rolled out based on the insights that you've already gathered? Do you think that the digital tools will provide a lot of additional insights for resilience practice and planning and for the climate space in particular in Wellington? We entered into the, the Bloomberg Philanthropies uh, Global Challenge for Mayors, and there were 620-odd, I think it was, entries. Uh, we ended up as one of the 15 cities around the world which was selected as a winner. And the the whole ethos of this is not just that we do something for Wellington, but that we do something that in Wellington that can then be rolled out and other, other cities can then say, oh, we can use that. Um, so I think that's a really... It's a really powerful part of the Bloomberg philanthropies ethos, uh, which is about developing technologies and techniques in a city, supporting that, but then those technologies, those techniques being able to be rolled out in other cities who can say, yes, we can see an opportunity uh, by grasping that. So I think that's, as I said at the beginning, um, you know, if we can do things in Wellington that others can benefit from in other parts of the world, that's fantastic.
I want to pick up on that going from success to success and sharing some of those experiences, in particular in the post-COVID world that we're living in. A lot of cities are thinking about how they stimulate their economies, something we talked about just a few minutes ago. And, and Wellington has a really thriving startup scene and has been witnessing some growth in digital business. And many of these local businesses are now taking these successes global. So how, how is the city really creating this attractive environment for businesses? And, and what role does this play in forward planning? There's probably several parts to answering that. The, the first one of them is that we're blessed to have a, a number of creative entrepreneurs who, um, in most cases, lived in Wellington or, or came to Wellington, maybe it was to, to university. Uh, universities are obviously really important parts of any city. And, and we've had so the likes of Weta with uh, Peter Jackson, uh, Sir Peter Jackson and Sir Richard Taylor in the film industry. But there's a whole lot of creativity that goes around that. Uh, Zero, which is a um, an accounting software which has gone global, you know, started as the sort of garage-based business, which is now worth billions of dollars. And Trade Me, which is an online market for, for generally for secondhand goods, but also for things like for, for jobs for um, and for, um, for for real estate and so on. So those, those have all become multi-billion dollar businesses. But then we've underneath that, we've got a whole host of other businesses which have been emerging over time and uh, in all kinds of different uh, areas, whether it's from investment to to ethical uh, purchasing to to tax systems for you know for, for countries around the world, which is, so this is you know developing those systems which are then used around the world. A, a lot of these um, businesses, then the ninety to ninety five percent of their market is is global. There's a, a business which is is uh, doing great work with uh, with detecting breast cancer, um, which most of its business is done in the US or, or in in Canada, and so so these are businesses which are just running out of offices in in Wellington. Why does that happen? Uh, we've got a, a relatively well in terms of New Zealand, the highest income levels, the highest education levels uh, in New Zealand. But I think also having that compact city and having the vitality that goes there. So, you know, having good hospitality, a good retail, arts, culture, those kind of things, a good buzz in your city that people say, I want to, a business that can go anywhere, I want to place that business here. And that's that's what we've got to keep working on to, to make sure that businesses who are set up here want to stay here and, and to attract other businesses if they want to come and join us here. Biggest challenge probably is in the housing space. Um, our housing prices are much higher than we would like. Uh, they've gone up dramatically over the last um, four or five years. Uh, they're beginning to t- top off now with you know, the, the global economic situation with higher interest rates and, and higher inflation rates. But So we've got to address some of the, the, the things that will prevent people um, coming here, but also to strengthen those things that draw people here. And the last bit, and it goes to that inclusion and community comment that I made earlier, I was at a, an event uh, not that long ago. There were about 200 people. It was set up by one of these digital companies, um, relatively new digital companies. It had been around for seven or eight years. And there were 200 people plus at that from about 100 different businesses, from 100 different digital tech um, companies. They weren't there to compete with each other. They're there to support each other. And that's the beautiful um, ecosystem that we've got here. The, the community is really strong, not just in organizations and suburbs and community organizations and churches and schools and things like and clubs and things like that but also in your business community coming together and working together and supporting each other. And I think that's a really, that's a really powerful thing. That is incredibly powerful. It's the spirit of collaboration, uh, wanting to come into a city that has vibrant community, 
that is collaborative, that has skills, and that has the services that you mentioned. All of those things are really an enabling environment for innovation and for economic growth. I wanted to touch a little bit on the the finance because Wellington has been a leader in resilience finance and really infrastructure finance. You, you talked a little bit about some of the buildings that needed to come down after the Kaikoura quakes and some of the climate resilience issues that are facing the city. Now, several years ago, even before COVID, Wellington took action to be proactive and to plan ahead for some of these retrofits and also for the energy transition. Can you talk more about h- how this has happened and what this has enabled the city to do? Because I think lots of cities look at this example and wonder, how can we mobilize ourselves and how can we be more forward-looking with financing the infrastructure that's going to protect our communities in the future? In terms of, let's take the seismic one, I mean, there's, both of them need infrastructure that, that's, that's, that's helpful there. So I mentioned the, the, the in-ground census as an example for seismic one. We've done work where we've got our GNS, um, uh, Geological Nuclear Sciences, uh, so that's one of our, our crown research institutes involved in helping us to understand better the, um, the seismic challenges that we face, you know, the, the, how the fault lines uh, how they're likely to move, how frequently they're likely to move. So a lot of a lot of integration with the, the science sector there as well. And in the digital tech area, we were. I'm going to go back into the into the 1990s where the city council was a uh, a partner in in setting up a reasonable level of digital infrastructure that people could then use to you know obviously to run businesses off. And, and now of course you know we're way beyond that now with uh, with you know 4G's and 5G and things of that nature coming in and and, and uh, most of the country now very much having all the the latest in terms of um, fiber technology and, and in terms of being wired up. We've also directly supported things like uh, for electric vehicles, you know, charging stations around the city and around the suburbs. That's part of trying to make a transfer into being a, a lower carbon city. Our, our regional council um, supporting electric buses to replace old diesel buses. Now, those are the things that people, other, other cities will certainly be doing. So there are a whole collection of small initiatives, if you like, which collectively build to being both a, a more resilient city, but also a lower carbon city. So Wellington has been very generous and forward-looking with your practice, sharing with other cities. What are the things that Wellington hopes to learn from other cities? What are the things that looking into the future, you would hope to connect to other cities about to advance the work that you're doing in Wellington? I, look, I think um, probably the, the, you know, the lessons that other people have learned from um, running big transport systems will be one. I mean, we're about to, to make some decisions on uh, putting into place some, some really substantial uh, mass rapid transit systems. Now, we don't have experience of running those or um, good experience of the technology or the systems. So those kind of things will be valuable to us. I think anything that other cities have done to try and you know, to continue to promote that attractiveness and dynamism of, of a central city you know as we come out of uh, COVID you know what keeps people coming to a city how do you make sure that you get really good mixed use how for example uh, are other cities experiencing the the challenges to conventional bricks and mortar retail of um, of online uh, retail business all of those sort of things so there's an element of the brave new world that we're all going into um, some people have been on parts of that journey ahead of others and and we would certainly appreciate learning from other cities about their experience of those those things i think if there is one last question that i would ask it would actually be about 
reaching back out to communities. You talked about walking outside, uh, raising money for the Anzac Day and so on in a very diverse city. What are some of the things that the team in Wellington is doing to make sure that the messages and the insights as the city moves forward with digital economy reach out into all of the diverse communities? How do you manage that? What kind of team do you need? What kind of hard and soft infrastructure do you need to make sure that that information, that um, that conversation uh, can move in two ways? Look, that, that's a really, really good question. I, I don't say that we've got all the answers by any stretch of the imagination there. Our, our, our community will, um, and I, I suspect I, I might, what I say might uh, resonate with many other city leaders, uh, but you know our community often thinks that it knows all the answers uh, that we get most things wrong. Um, we don't think we do, but um, you know, so uh, reaching out to communities, involving communities, is, is it's a job that's never finished, and and we've just got to keep working really, really hard at doing that. Biggest challenge probably in that is is trying to make sure that we can at least that people can say, well, you are listening, that you are open minded to what we have to say. One of the areas that we have a, a challenge both as a local government and as a national government is the desire to do things quickly can clash quite uh, quite dramatically with the need uh, or the importance of keeping communities involved and in helping to make their own places. So I, I think that that's a journey that we are still on and it's a it's a I've got to say it's, a, it's one of the more bumpy journeys that we've got and it's an area which I, I'm really, really keen that we improve on. But, you know, sometimes that's a political challenge. I really want to thank you, Mayor Foster, for all of your insights, and especially on Earth Day, to thank you for the open and inspiring conversation about using you know, our best technology, listening to all our communities, and planning to keep our environment healthy and our communities safe and economies thriving. I think what's so meaningful about this is that invitation to other cities to learn together with you in Wellington. Lauren, can I just go straight one in? Because as you mentioned Earth Day, I think I, I really should have touched base on, on we declared a climate and ecological emergency in 2019. So we didn't just do the climate emergency, which, which many other cities did, I think, but also said there's an ecological emergency too. And Wellington's been on a, a real journey of environmental restoration for the 30 years that I've been on the council. And we've gone from what we would say was a cot case where we had virtually no native species in the city at all and uh, and very degraded natural environments to something that people was now an internationally renowned showcase with you know f- focused around a, a world famous ecological sanctuary in Zealandia and part of that is about communities working together so we've got literally thousands and thousands of volunteers getting out involved in in restoring the environment and trapping for predators and and that's a really really special part of, of what our city is so on earth day i think that's a pretty special one to mention on Earth Day, it sounds like the nature-based solutions in Wellington that you've been investing in are really a part of the city's fabric and something that other cities can can learn from as well. And so again, on, on Earth Day, I want to thank you for this open, very inspiring conversation about the importance of using our, our best people, our best knowledge and our best technology to keep our environment healthy, to keep our communities safe, to keep our economies thriving and, and to build more resilient cities. So again, thank you for being with us and, and for sharing with the Urban Exchange today. Lauren, it's an absolute pleasure and thank you for all the work that you all do. Wellington is making its mark among global cities and with the Mayor committing to more citizen engagement work the city status will continue to grow through a program of work that, by his own admission, is never-ending. Those improvements in citizen communication are only going to help ensure that Wellington thrives, becoming a more sustainable and resilient city. 
Before we leave you for this episode, make sure you're subscribed wherever you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss out on what comes next, where we'll be speaking with the City of Medellin's Mayor Daniel Quintero and Monica Baroni, CEO of the City of Sydney, among a host of others. We'll catch you on the next one.